So this is our last Sunday of Missions Month. And today I'm going to talk to you about sowing and reaping and raising a new generation in mission. I want to start by reading that well-known passage in Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 to 9 that is all about reap, sowing and reaping. It says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Late one summer evening, a weary truck driver pulled into an all-night truck stop. The waitress had just served him when three tough-looking bikey gang members decided to give him a hard time. They abused him, and one of them picked up his burger off his plate. Another one took a handful of his chips. A third one picked up his coffee and started to drink it. Now, how would you respond in a situation like that? Well, this truckie, he just calmly stood up, picked up his bill, walked to the checkout, put down his money, and left. The waitress put the money in the till and watched the big truck drive out into the night. When she returned, one of the bikers said to her, well, he's not much of a man, is he? She replied, I don't know about that, but he sure isn't much of a truck driver. He just ran over three motorbikes parked in the car park. <laughs> We're all aware of familiar sayings. Be careful because you'll reap what you sow. Or what goes around comes around. Treat others in the way you would like to be treated. And we've seen the outworking of this principle many times in people's lives. And we also see it in overseas mission. It's important that we plant seeds of obedience, goodness, hope, and love. A poor Scottish farmer saved the life of a boy who was sinking in a swamp. And the boy's wealthy farmer wanted to repay the poor farmer for saving his son's life. No, I can't accept payment for what I did, the farmer replied. Anyone would have done what I did. So the rich man persuaded the farmer to allow him to pay for a good education for the farmer's son. The poor man's son went off to university and became a brilliant scientist. He went on to become Sir Alexander Fleming, the inventor of penicillin. Later, the rich man's son was dying of pneumonia and his life was saved by penicillin. 
The rich man's name was Lord Randolph Churchill. The name of his son was Sir Winston Churchill. Isn't it amazing that we reap what we sow? What goes around comes around in a positive sense as well as in a negative sense. Science is trying to find ways of reversing some of those laws of cause and effect. And they're doing it with products like Weight Watchers ice cream and Diet Coke. And Lotto is seen by some people as a way of getting rich without having to do the hard work and having to save your money. But the law of sowing and reaping is a spiritual law. It's as consistent as the law of gravity. It affects every area of our lives. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Many people today mock God by the way that they live. They ignore God. They ignore his law, his promptings. They live their lives as they please. When we rebel against God, it distances us from him and ruins our relationship with him. There are consequences, and ultimately we will reap what we have sown. Look at these other verses. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Proverbs 11 verse 18. He who sows wickedness reaps trouble, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Hebrews 10 verse 12. Plant good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of my love. James 3:18 Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. What are you sowing into your life? What are you sowing into your life right now in this moment on Sunday, May the 27th? You will reap a harvest of whatever you sow. If you sow a tomato seed, you will get a crop of tomatoes. If you sow good, you will reap goodness. If you sow evil, you will reap evil. Charles Reed said, sow a thought and you reap an act. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. Are you sowing seeds of obedience, compassion, and service? Our words, actions, and decisions are much more significant than we realize. What are you sowing into your children's lives? What things are you teaching them? What kind of an example are you setting to them? Are you training them to walk with the Lord? What are you sowing into your spouse? If we sow love, we reap love. If we sow hatred, we will reap hate. If we sow unfair criticism, we will reap unfair criticism. 
When we give sacrificially for the betterment of those around us, we set in motion the law of reciprocity. And this causes the same thing to come back to us. But this law, when it comes back, comes back multiplied. Have a look at Luke 6, verse 38. It tells us that what we sow comes back to us in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You can plant a kernel of corn, and it will grow into a stalk. It will develop ears and thousands of other kernels of seed. What are you sowing into your spiritual life, into your relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you sowing seeds that will produce strong faith, love, joy, and peace? Are you expecting to harvest a crop of fruit or just weeds? What about your friendships? Are you sowing peace or discord? Are you sowing encouragement, praise, and concern. The harvest of these seeds is love. How are you spending your time and your money? What kind of seeds are you planting? What kind of fruit are you expecting? We can continue to plant good seed into our community and this world around us. We read in the Bible that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isn't that amazing that God doesn't change and as believers in Jesus Christ it's our responsibility to ensure that other people know this truth about Jesus also this is a truth that can be handed down throughout the generations it's interesting to see as Christianity has moved around the world that when it has been braced it has brought prosperity and unity and wholeness and health to many civilizations. It is a truth to be celebrated because it brings life, hope, and salvation. A truth that emphasizes God's ever, never-ending love for his people. And so today we seek new believers that God is calling to himself. But we need to be open-minded in the way that God can use us as we move forward for him. In November 1934, there was an evangelist called Mordecai Ham, and he took a three week crusade in a town called Charlotte in the USA. He left that town feeling very discouraged because there had only one person who responded to the message that he brought. He'd only had one convert in three weeks of sharing the gospel. But the name of that one convert was a little boy called Billy Graham, who went out and evangelized the world, spoke, shared the gospel with more people in, than anyone else in the history of mankind. So we're talking about a new generation in mission. And I want to give you two examples of traditional mission and then talk to you about how things are changing today. In 1928, three young men decided that they were going to go into 
the island of Borneo and evangelize the people of Borneo. The names of these three men were Frank Davidson, Kerry Tolley, and Hudson Southwell. Now, when you look at those names, two of those men had been named after famous missionaries, William Carey, Hudson Taylor. These were a new generation of missionaries that were bearing the names of former missionaries. And so they went into Borneo. Now, Borneo was a place where there had used to be headhunters. You weren't a man until you brought back to your village the head of one of your enemies. And so these people were fighting amongst themselves and their trophies were the heads of their enemies. And you can go into traditional longhouses in Borneo today and they would get those heads and they would smoke them and preserve them and they're still hanging from the rafters of some of the longhouses. And these people in Borneo, they were addicted to rice wine. And this rice, rice wine was called tuac, and it was quite a sort of potent alcoholic beverage. And so they would make this alcohol. And a book that documented the Marut people in Borneo said that 100 days out of every 365 days in the year, that these people went to bed totally drunk. And there was no hygiene in their villages. They, their houses were long houses next to rivers built on stilts, but all their animals, their pigs and their dogs, were underneath the house. And so there was lots of disease and lots of germs. And so these missionaries went into that environment to reach these people for Jesus. And the first thing they had to do was learn the language. And then they had to translate the language into the translate the bible into their language so that these people could have the scriptures and that they could learn and understand about Jesus but these people had all sorts of omens and fetishes an omen it means it's a sign it's a, a bad sign and so if they were going to go on a journey and they saw a certain bird or a certain type of snake that was a bad omen, and so they had to go back. They weren't allowed to travel. That was a warning that they were going into danger. Or when one of their children was born, if they heard the bark of a certain type of deer, that would mean that they had to sacrifice that baby to the gods, and they weren't allowed to feed that baby. And because of all these cultural beliefs, there was extreme poverty within these villages. But you know, when they accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, there was rapid, massive change. And in those villages, once the head man of the village accepted Jesus, the whole village would accept Jesus. And so these people believed in Jesus Christ and their drinking feasts became, were replaced with hymn singing and prayer meetings. Their fears of spirits were changed to a holy fear for the living God. The adultery and promiscuity which had spread diseases throughout their villages was done away with. 
the filth and squalor was turned into hygiene and cleanliness. One of these longhouses was called Long Tabangan, and it was the first village to convert to Christianity. And it seemed as though a fog had lifted off those people. They realized that they now had God's protection from evil spirits and that those evil spirits could no longer harm them. And so they burnt all their charms and fetishes. They started to build churches and Bible colleges in every village. And you know, those missionaries that started the work, they said, we are the scaffolding for the building of this new church. We're not going to exist over here and run the church and, and the mission for the people. We want them to develop their own pastors and Bible colleges. And so they built all these things and then they withdrew from the area. And today, in that part of the world, is a church of over 500,000 people. So the work of three men who went into a very remote, difficult part of the world, today has a very strong indigenous church with over 500,000 members. Isn't that amazing? It's really exciting, isn't it? Now, a New Zealand Baptist missionary that m many of you will have heard about is Dr. Brian Smith. Can we have his picture on the screen? Now, Brian Smith, he went to Tripura. Now, you've got India, you've got North India, and off to the right, sort of just above Bangladesh, is Tripura. And he and his wife Shirley and his family went to be missionaries to the people in Tripura. And Brian's main task was to translate the Bible into Tripuri, which was the language of the local people. But the local people didn't really like Brian being there. And there was a time when after he'd sort of recorded different sounds and, and worked on translation with a few key people, Brian and Shirley had to leave and live in Kolkata to do most of the translation. And so Brian was there for many years, but did not see a lot of fruit from his missional activities. However, he did translate the New Testament of the Bible into trippery. Well, a few years ago, they were celebrating the 50th anniversary of the church in Tripura. And they invited Brian and Shirley Smith to go over to Tripura for this occasion. Now, Brian's in his 80s now, and he said, no, look, I'm a bit too fragile and frail. I uh, can't come to the Jubilee. But they said, well, can we Skype call you? And so he was on this Skype call, and they put him up on a big screen at this 50th celebration. And you know... There is now a church of thousands in Tripura. And when we look at our self-denial notes, there's a testimony of the chairperson, the leader of um, the Baptist Union of Tripura. And there's this interview with him. And he, this is what he said that when he became 
uh, the, the, the General Secretary of the Baptist Union. He said that he realized the need for a prayer movement in the Tripura churches. He saw what had happened in the early church when they prayed together and waited for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. He said a lot of people know about the historical Jesus, but a, a lot of people don't have a relationship with him. And so he prayed that pastors and evangelists in the church of Tripura would be touched by the Holy Spirit. And he went around those churches, and when he preached and challenged the people, they cried out to God in prayer. And then revival took place throughout Tripura. So here's a missionary from New Zealand that goes into a tough area. Doesn't see a lot of fruit, but plants seed. That seed germinates. And today we're seeing the fruitfulness of the work that he has done. So we've got our traditional methods of sharing the gospel with other people. Bible translation, prayer, establishing Bible schools, training up locals. These are all important. But today, because of technology, there's a whole new range of ways of reaching the lost in overseas countries. Through the end, you know, some people in this congregation have smuggled Bibles into China and into other countries in the Iron Curtain where Bibles were not permissible. But you know that the largest printing press of, for Bibles in the world is now in China. And that in many of these countries, they can download the Bible in their own translation into their phone. And so instead of having to risk the lives of people who are smuggling Bibles across borders, they can just download the Bible and have it in their language on their phone. And when we were in Azerbaijan, the Azeri language, um, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a website called Bible Gateway. And on Bible Gateway, it has the Bible in just about every language that it's been translated into. And so I could have my slides with the, the verse in English, and underneath, well, next to that, I could have it also in Azeri, or I could have it in Russian. When I was making my slides, I'd just look up the reference in another language, and even though I couldn't understand the language myself, I could copy it onto a slide. We actually didn't do that that often because our church was an international church for English-speaking people and we weren't competing against the, the indigenous Azeri church and it was, would have been wrong for us to try and, and get the local indigenous people to come to our church when they had their own churches. But those sort of skills, uh, that sort of technology is making it so much easier for the Bible to get into the hands of different people and different churches. While we were over there, we visited Iran, and I was surprised that when I looked at satellite TV, there were three Christian channels beaming the gospel into Iran, a Muslim-closed country today 
but people that had satellite TV could pick up Christian channels. And there's a lot of people that are being given little radios that tune in to a Christian station. And these radios are solar powered. And there's websites that are for discipling people of just about every nation in the world. And plus, missionaries can Skype call people in, in foreign countries. They don't have to travel over there. So there's all of these new methods for reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today, there are new generations new, using new ideas and new equipment. And so as we yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and we respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit, God will use us and our missionaries. He'll use us to pray for our missionaries. He will use us to support for our missionaries. But he can also use us in all sorts of different, new and exciting ways. And so in due season we will see a harvest produced. And that's what mission is all about. That's what we've been studying over the past few Sundays. So let's just um, pray into that situation now. And each of us can examine our own lives and say, what am I sowing? What am I reaping through my life? What am I sowing into other people's life, lives? And how is God using them through my prayers and through my giving. It's a privilege to give to support overseas mission. You know, these guys that have gone overseas, it's not easy to leave your, the security of your job and your friends and your family to go off into a foreign culture. And so they really do need our prayers and support. And because many of us aren't able to go as they have, we can still support them in such a way that they're able to do more because they've got the resources. So let's pray. Lord, you commissioned us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we're to start in our hometown and then go into neighboring towns and throughout our own country and then into other countries. Lord, we do thank you for our missionaries. Lord, we just pray that they will feel your nearness. Lord, we do pray for times of fruitfulness. Lord, we hear so many stories of difficult times for missionaries where they're soldiering on and laboring in difficult conditions and not seeing a lot of fruit. But Lord, you have promised that when we are obedient to you, ultimately there will be a harvest. And we rejoice in the harvest that we're hearing about in different ways and in different places. And Lord, we thank you for the new techniques, for the new generation that can connect with people, even in isolated, troubled countries where your word can penetrate and it can be received and it can touch lives. Lord, we just thank you for the part you've called each one of us to play in this process. In Jesus' name, amen.